0: Before I get into the scripture and I pray for us, I go around the country speaking. And when I do, I always give a few, I speak on homelessness. When I do, I always give a few disclaimers. So my disclaimer is for this evening. Um, I am known for messing up words. I'll give you a fun little example. 2007, I was being interviewed by CNN for the work we do with those experiencing homelessness. The reporter followed us around all day and Cameras are off by the end of the day, and the reporter looks at me and she's like, I just, I've just, i seen so much, I, I just need to. And I cut off, I'm like, you need to go home and decompose. <laughs> I meant decompress. I pretty much told the reporter she needed to go home and rot. <laughs> and my piece was never aired. So tonight, I may mess up words, I'm 43, I'm past being insecure about it, we can all giggle. My second disclaimer is, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I am pregnant. (laughs) This is not a beer belly. And I don't think I'm going to have the baby today. Um, I am about what I like to call five weeks until bourbon. Um, So yes, and he's been really moving a lot when I was sitting down, so we'll see how this goes. It may look like he's punching from the inside. Um, okay, so that's disclaimer number two. Disclaimer number three is I've been sick all week. So, lucky you guys. <laughs> um, and the last disclaimer, and probably the most important, is I'm not a theologian. They didn't ask me up here, um, and Kevin didn't tell me to come up here to speak, because I am like this encyclopedia of theosaurus and biblical knowledge. They asked me up here because they feel like I do this well. So... Let me pray for us, and let's, get, uh, let's dig in. Lord, I ask that you will be with every single person in this room tonight. Lord, I pray that you will be with the word spoken, and I pray that our church will be known for being good neighbors, and that it will change a city. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the scripture I'm going to refer to um, and read from is Mark 12, 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus said, The most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second one is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And then from, uh, from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So when I read a scripture like this, and I've been a Christian since I was six, so this scripture has been read many, many times. Oh, love your neighbor as yourself. I feel good. How? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Well, part of my journey in learning about this and having this be kind of a lifestyle is from my early 20s. Um, I have the oddest paradox in my life. I run a nonprofit and founded a nonprofit that works with those cro- that experience chronic homelessness. I didn't do that full time in the beginning. In the beginning, um, when I was, I think, 24, I got hired by a New York Met that became an Atlanta Brave. I was working with professional athletes. And my full-time job was that. My free time was working with the homelessness, uh, with those experiencing homelessness. So that was a great paradox because those are so far in extremes. I'll have a a little story um, from Health Day in Atlanta, Georgia, where the nonprofit is based that I founded. We throw a large health fair um, to put on. That uh, week afterwards, I returned a sweater for one of my employers for $1,200. Broad paradox. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Um, this is what I learned from that paradox. The whole world is groaning, the rich, the poor. There's a verse in the Bible that says, it's Romans 8.22, says that for we know the whole creation groans and suffers together until now, and everyone is fighting a big battle. Uh, C.S. Lewis, Lewis has a great quote that says, you have never, I have never met an ordinary person, a mere mortal. No matter where people are at, we're all struggling, because this is a hard world. And then I was able to look at people rich and poor, people different, people just alike, no matter the gender, race, socioeconomic, and realize that they were made in the image of God. And we are all humanity in a hard world. So as I delved into the paradox of my employment and my free time, the Lord took me through some hard years of just what I call spiritual cleansing. And What I learned from that, or the first lesson from that, was repenting of prejudice and attitude. I don't care what it is, I mean I can name all the isms, it could be political affiliation, it could be suburban-urban, it could be like in our household, my husband has an Android and I have an iPhone and I do have to repent every day because I obviously feel superior. (laughs) But seriously, 30 seconds on social media will show you where you need to repent, and that wasn't one thing I did a decade or 15 years ago. It is something daily I keep in mind, because if I feel superior, that is a blockage from the person in front of me, the person who lives next to me. The next thing I had to realize is that my lack was not better, just different. When I um, first started Lazarus and I was serving, I would come to the men and women we were uh, you know, ministering to or serving with and I had this idea that I had a car, a job, a home, obviously I must know everything about life and you just need to stop and listen. I had to realize also that I acted out of lack. See I was in that time serving because I needed the identity of it. I was acting out of lack and what happens is when you act out of lack. That also separates you from the person who lives next to you, who's in front of you. I had to realize that both parties brought something, new, uh, brought something to the table. And again, that came a lot with my work with the homeless because I thought, again, I had all the answers, completely ignoring the wealth and life stories of those in front of me. So. I developed appreciation people, did a lot of repenting, and I realized that I wanted to appreciate all and that think just like me. And I'll be honest, right now, that's hard. I was explaining a situation um, to my son, something that happened, Um, and I was like, I wanted to say, that is a bad person. But instead I said to him, my son's three, um, or our son is three, I said that person believes bad things because right now it's hard. Um, Another part of foundation building, I summed up from a quote, um, and I think I have a slide for this, from Pete Scazzaro. How can you enter someone else's world when you have not entered your own? You cannot be a good neighbor, good friend if you have not entered your own pain, your own story, your own world. Because what happens is people come to you with their problems and there's a shutdown. When I was in my 20s, I had not entered my own world, my own pain, and I was wanting to save and help people. And so thus, again, I was acting out of my lack and I was getting my identity for it. I was serving for me, not for the people that I was serving. So let me take a step out of my story and I want to take apart uh, what I call the stoic and emotionally constipated state of the Western church. (laughs) Um, Sounds fun. Um, We in error define emotional spiritual health to look like this, a straight line. If you go to a funeral, and the family is keeping it together, you say, oh, they're doing well. If the family is in touch with their grief, in touch with the loss, that they will not take in it well. I hate to say this, but if we look at emotions that we should be operating like this, that's a sign of death. It's not a true study of how Jesus was. Jesus was not an emotionally frozen Messiah. And the thing is, is when we walk with that, when we walk with our emotional state being like this, it does not create a safe place for people to come to us. Jesus was fully alive, so he had the full gamut of emotions. Um, I've been pretty angry in my life. I come from New Jersey. Oh, I hear another jersey in. Oh, sorry, honey. Sorry. Um, I have never turned over a table in anger. My husband's favorite verse is, um, and I always forget the reference, and I I use this in my uh, class talking about homelessness. Um, The Pharisees say something ridiculously stupid, and Jesus sarcastically sighs. Jesus, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. We've made Jesus into a frozen, emotionally frozen Messiah, and that is not accurate. He created emotions. They aren't to be stuffed or denied, but laid out before God and shared with trusted people. And God will meet us in the honesty of our pain, anger, confusion, disappointment, and grief. Denial is just another form of lying. Okay. So let me look at um, another area of where the Lord took me on my journey. Really appreciating the word empathy. Empathy, um, I read the whole meaning earlier at the first service. I'm just going to action of understanding, being aware of, and being sensitive to. And vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another. So when I th- would think about empathy, I'd often think about re- um, Romans 12, 15, the weep with those who weep and rejoice with those re- who rejoice. I think Richard touched on it a little bit last week. And that, that, uh, The rejoice with rejoicing, like those that rejoice, that's pretty easy most of the time, unless you're grieving something. Um, I was a late single. I got married when I was four days shy of 37. So I'll be honest, celebrating weddings at 35 was not, that was a discipline. <laughs> um, But the weep with those who weep, that's a hard one. Because we want to insert our opinions, our timelines, our needing to fix it, our needing to gloss over things because we're uncomfortable, our needing to look at the bright side. And there's nothing else required of us when someone is coming with us with anger, feeling oppressed, confusion, disappointment, hurt, for that person in that moment, there is no bright side. There's no fixing. There's no opinion good enough to take it away. Years of working with devastated lives, and that is one unchanging truth. And I'm often face-to-face with my own helplessness because I've got just a little bit of hope for a mountain of need. (laughs) I don't think that was me this time. Um... I can only describe this what I have friends that have emotional, spiritual depth. When I've had distress, my friends have actually cried with me. They created space for me to grieve. They were physically present with me, praying, making sure physical needs were taken care of, and most importantly, listening. I'm going to put the next slide up. Um, David Osberger wisely says, being heard is so close to being loved, but that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. I want to, I hope I don't get in too much trouble saying this, but I'm going to take just a second to talk to my white folks. Right now, it is hard, and we need to stop talking and listen. My neighbors that are people of color, my friends that are people of color, are trying to talk to us. And we don't need to tell them their experience. We need to listen. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) Um, I I don't think I'm going to get viral on that. Okay. Um, I say that because so often we try to gloss over things. And we can't right now. We can't. So let me give you some tips. I'm going to go into some practical application. Be a friend. To me, friend and neighbor is the same thing. And I like to just add this. Um, sometimes people have that hard bridge, like, okay, I want to, I know their name, I want to get to know people. Um, if you're shy or if it's just an awkward social scenario, um, I've used this question on the streets of Atlanta after introductions and at dinner parties in DC. If you don't know what to say or where to go with a conversation, just ask, where are you from, or some derivative of that. You would be surprised how quickly conversation will come. I'm from New Jersey, I lived in Atlanta, I've been in DC for four years, oh, where are your parents? All of a sudden, somebody is telling you about the sister they don't talk to anymore. So if you are feeling like that fear of, well, how do I get from A to B? I recommend that, you'd be surprised, because everybody has a story they want to tell. They just sometimes need the, the right questions. And I like to include things about me when I'm getting to know people. Um, Becky mentioned that I know the mailman and the UPS guy and the recycling guys, and that is all true. Um, it was really sweet. Um, I have rough pregnancies. The uh, first six m- months of this pregnancy with Gavin, I was terribly ill and nauseous. And the recycling guys, I was telling one of them just how poorly I felt, because, yeah, we're friends. <laughs> um, and the next week, he, he asked me how I was feeling, and I was thinking, that's how it should be. It's not like I'm coming from this place of saving. I, this is a hard world. I'm struggling right now. I come as I am. I come with the high and lows of life. And every time we have a party, all of those guys are invited. After a time of consistent interaction and conversation, I like to follow up in finding out what talents people have. I am a big proponent of asset-based neighborhoods. And let me, let me go to the spiritual side and the practical side. I'm going to just say I think it's total nonsense how the church views humility. The church views humility or, you know, oh, I'm not good at anything. No, you are. You're made in the image of God. You're good at something. Humility is an honest assessment of what you're good at and what you're bad at. I can throw a party like no other. I, <laughs> I am terrible with spreadsheets and grammar. In my neighborhood, I'm the one people go to for movie night or block parties. I am not who they go to for editing or spreadsheets our uh, our friend tony who's experiencing homelessness who's on our block he is an amazing artist amazing artist so we try to call that gifting out in any way we can because he brings something to the table now to talk a little bit about gentrification we we must realize that the problem with asset based neighborhoods with gentrification is that the new neighbors bring all the wealth of knowledge and their assets, ignoring what those that have lived in the neighborhood for 40, 50 years bring. So for it to be a true asset-based ru- neighborhood, it has to be both parties, the new and the old, everybody. The pro- uh, with that, with gentrified neighborhoods, and it's so indignifying. Another area of being a good friend is knowing the difference between nice and kind. Y'all wanna know what the Middle English root word for nice is? Foolish and stupid. (laughs) Nice is boundaryless, pushover, kind is more genuine and has boundaries. Being nice is often nothing more than a facade, an excuse for disengaging from people around us. So when I'm looking at neighboring, I like to break it up to spheres. So I'm gonna talk and just, you thought that was practical knowledge? I'm going to really get practical. Um, first sphere, those that live in my neighborhood. You should know your neighbors' names. I don't know, I, I did the thing about the eight, and I have an apartment comp- complex across the street from me, so I'm not ho- sure how that goes, but I think I've got eight names. I invite my neighbors to every get-together we have. I offer veggies for my garden. Um, Joe and I take the heart, the phrase, when you have more than you need, build a bigger taber, table, not a higher fence. Our doors are open. If there is a need for sheets or a porta crib or a mattress, you know, one of those um, blow-up mattresses for guests, our stuff is theirs. I'll give you a really good example of being a good neighbor. Kevin and Charlie, like Kevin said, um, they're neighbors of ours. We we don't live far apart. Um, And we had texted them earlier that day, um, it was sometime in June, because my husband and I have been through the process for the last year of trying, um, we're licensed now to foster an unaccompanied refugee minor. It's been a hard process, a lot of setbacks. We text them that day that we just felt defeated. And I text, put down the phone, made dinner. We're sitting at our table, which is right in front of, you know, we've got big windows so we can see everybody walking past. And all of a sudden, here they come with Eloise with a bottle of wine and food. Our neighborhood and our neighbors, we like to check in with each other when things happen. I live near Potomac Ave and sometimes we have shootings. And so we all text each other, are you all right? Um, And we just start, we're communicating with each other. We look at each other's porches for packages and we'll put them in our doors so that way they don't get stolen. When things like the blizzard happen, we make sure that the elderly's uh, stoops and sidewalks are shoveled. We make sure everybody has enough food. We're there and present. The next fear I have is those who I come across in my day to day. I work from home most of the time or I travel to speak. So my day to day is the garbage man, Gibbs, the UPS guy, Rob, our mailman, our neighbors. That's my day to day. The Harris Teeter's a block away, you know, I go go there. I like to keep sodas and waters around, and I offer them out to everybody. And I know their names, so it's not like this weird lady. Um, <laughs> and that's really been um, an icebreaker in sometimes. I'll give you an example. Um, Joe and I were going to bed one night, and we heard lots of yelling and stuff, and we noticed some of the teens were spray painting. And they were starting to do the sidewalk in front of our neighbor. And I know some of these kids, because um, uh, we do block parties. And then I looked at the street where they were spray painting, and they had RIP. And so Joe and I went downstairs. And instead of saying, no, oh, kids, don't, don't spray paint, we started asking, we're like, do you all want a Coke? And then we started to find out what, why they were spraying RIP and to realize their uncle passed away. And the fact that we didn't come at them like, stop doing what you're doing, but with a sympathetic heart and a, a Coke, kind of just bridged that gap. I like to engage people in my day to day. I talk to the Harris Teeter person, um, Starbucks person, ask them how their day is. I call them by their name, because there's always a, a name tag. I try to engage. I try not to be where. The next sphere is church community. And that's important. I like to keep extra wine, champagne, and chocolate for comfort or celebrating. For other people, not me. (laughs) (laughs) I keep a stash of cards for every occasion so I'm prepared if something does happen, whether it's celebratory or grieving. And I saw Mari Andrews. I hope I have her name right. She's an artist on Instagram. And I saw she had something about grief and she said, before grief, a card is $3. After grief, it's the world. After grief, it's the world. I like to show up. I like to cook meals. And that's a big one. Whether it's you, everybody comes to my house. And seriously, we've had some get-togethers where everybody comes to our house. <laughs> um, there is nothing like life over a meal. And there's nothing more life-saving when people are going through transition than providing a meal. We are going to be working on, and we have had meals in the past for different life-change things, but we're getting more organized um, for when people have babies or there's death or accident. I mean, you all don't have to cook. We got Galley and Uber Eats. I was, um, my son was sick one day, uh, had a 103 f- uh, fever, and Angela... I forget why we were texting. I think I was asking you to pray for him or whatnot. And then she had Uber Eats deliver breakfast the next morning because she knew I didn't sleep the whole night. Meals are a great way to be a neighbor. And the last sphere is my city. I love DC. I vote, I lobby, I call because big picture things often affect my next door neighbors. We are, um, the table is becoming a part of WIN, the Washington Interfaith Network, and then we know how our neighbors feel about each different thing, whether it's housing or the metro or whatnot. Big picture can affect little picture. And I want our city to thrive and my neighbors to thrive. So I'm gonna end with a quote from C.S. Lewis, and I have the last slide. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. So how do I love my neighbor as myself? I deal with the lack that I operate out of. I enter my world so I can enter another's. I listen and stop talking. I come as I am, highs and lows, because that makes a safe place for people to come as they are. I'm present. And lastly, I cook and share meals. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you will come again into our city, that the church will be known for being good neighbors. Lord, for those that are are gonna delve into what lack they operated out of. I ask for your mercy and grace and comfort in walking them through that. Lord, I ask that we will be a congregation that has entered our own world so we can enter others. Lord, for those that are busy, I ask for time. And for those that are shy, I ask for courage. And Lord, I just ask your grace upon this community